Okay. So, this morning we'll be continuing our series on Church Matters. Uh, this is our third week in the series. In week one, we had Pastor Samuel. Uh, he spoke about the nature of the church. And last week, Pastor Paul talked about the marks of the church. Uh, that brings us to this week. Well, I'll be covering the subject of membership, uh, how committing to a local church can assist in uniting us to one another, identifying with Christ uh, to make Jesus known and accomplish our mission together. And um, hopefully, how, how does that come about? So if you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, be going through verses 11 through 22. So, during World War II, Hitler commanded all religious groups to be united so that he can control them. Among the churches, half complied and half refused. Those who went along with the order had a much easier time and those who did not faced harsh persecution. In almost every family that resisted, a family member had died in a concentration camp. When the war was over, the feelings of bitterness ran deep between the groups and there was a great deal of tension and understandably, uh, there were certain people who were upset. They remembered family members and friends going off to the concentration camp while the others remained safe. And gradually, as time went on, the bitterness continued and a decision was made by the leaders uh, that they would have to get together. They agreed to meet in a quiet retreat and for several days, each person committed to spend time in prayer, examining his own heart regarding his own failures in light of Christ's commands. And after this, they were able to come together. Years later, when recalling this incident, one of the men was asked, what did you do then? And he replied simply, we were just one. See, as they confessed their hostility and bitterness to God and yielded to his control, the Holy Spirit created a spirit of unity among them, replacing enmity, and love filled their hearts and dissolved their hatred. When love prevails among believers, especially in times of strong disagreement, it presents to the world an irrefutable mark of a follower of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters in Christ, they bring honor to God's name by pursuing unity and the power of the Holy Spirit, not their own. The Holy Spirit who brings us together as one through faith. Let's go ahead and read our passage. Again, that's Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22. Therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down 
in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those that were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that when you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are no longer strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in which the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for, the God, for God by the Spirit. So as we go through this passage, I want to point out three distinctives, three unifiers of the church of God. It's, we have a unifying problem that before Christ, none of us belong. But we also have a unifying solution that as we belong to Jesus, we also belong to one another, possessing a unifying purpose, working together to display the power of the gospel and of its saving message. Here's our problem. Before Jesus and without Jesus, none of us belong. And we love to let one another know it. This is our problem. In verse 11, Paul says this, or starting with verse 11. I'll read it again. Therefore, remember that at once, one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. So here's our background. If you were a Gentile believer, in the time that this letter was written, and you were a worshiper of God, you would have had a curious experience in Jerusalem coming to the temple. Just imagine yourself. You're a Gentile coming to the temple where the Spirit of God is said to dwell. There's the glory of the temple set out on a mount. Everybody can see it, but only the priests can enter the tightest part of the temple, closest to the glory of God. On the same level, there's a court for the men of Israel. And on that same level as well, in a different part, there's a court for the women of Israel. And all are close, close enough that they can smell the incense and the burning, but you, you in this scenario, you're a Gentile. You're not a Jew, so you can't go anywhere near this. There's this outer court for you, surrounded by not one, but two large stone walls, an outer court full of people like yourself, a court of the Gentiles. And some 20 steps down, large steps, away from the other courts. You're not on the same level. You can see the temple, but you're below it. And plastered on the outer wall, keeping you from the temple, were these signs on the stone that said, said this, no foreigner may enter within, within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. 
Anyone that is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. That's what the sign reads. You don't belong here. And any attempt to belong, to enter in close to the presence of God with the people of God will only result in your death. You're a stranger. You're an alien. You're cut off. You're separated. There's no way for the Gentile to enter into worship with the Jew. It just can't happen. And so here's Paul's point to the church in Ephesus in these two verses. The Jew and the Gentile divide has created an impenetrable wall around belonging to one another. And that's part of the problem in the church of Ephesus. They're wondering, how are we supposed to be one body? How are we supposed to belong to one another when we never have? When there's signs like this in the temple. But this, in many ways, is our problem too. There's no wall here that we have to cross through or look at from afar. But we love to divide. And here's what this text is showing about showing us about how we divide ourselves. We divide by setting up standards of outside belonging based on law. We assume by outward appearances that we either do not belong or others don't belong. Look again at verse 11. Therefore, remember at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. What's happening here is the Jews were literally labeling the Gentiles according to the obedient, their obedience to the ceremonial law of Moses. They literally called them the uncircumcision. So you're a Gentile, you're coming to worship in a New Testament church in Ephesus. And you're over here as you're walking by, some Jewish brothers whispering as you walk by, there goes the uncircumcision. The Jews thought they were something special because of their outward sign. They isolated Gentiles because they didn't fit their category of outward signs of belonging. They established this law over them and said, you don't belong unless you meet this. They thought what was needed to change was conforming their bodies to belong, conforming to a set of belonging that was based on the obedience of the law. But what does Paul say in verse 11? He's reminding us that this Jewish identity on the other side of the cross of Christ is simply an identity of the works of the hands, a standard of belonging that's based on the works of the law. Paul just got done addressing this issue in Ephesians early in in chapter 2. Let's look back at verse 8 and 9, and Paul says this to them. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not made by the flesh, not made in the flesh by hands. Their salvation did not come from their adherence to the law, but by grace. Their identity was wrapped up in this external and the physical, and their hearts were spiritually dead as they isolated one another. Because church, when we place the standard of belonging on one another or to the family of God in an outward reality of law, we create division. 
This is us too. Our natural assumption is that we possess a self-made identity. This is force-fed to us daily. The American dream has led you to believe that you can change your identity in order to belong with what? The works of your hands. You can get a seat at the table. You You can become whomever you like by determination, grit, gusto, sacrifice. Some might say luck, but mostly it works. You can become whatever and you can belong. You can dress different, talk different, be different, just to belong in whatever way. This is our hateful, dividing hearts at work. But this is human nature, right? If you belong with me, you have to work to my standards. And if you don't belong to me, I'm going to go ahead and assume that your identity is different than mine. The Jews looked at the Gentiles and said, oh, not circumcised. Well, you'll either have to get circumcised or, unfortunately, you'll always be labeled with this outward identity, the uncircumcised. We look at fellow image bearers and do the same, not middle class, not well-educated, not my skin color, not my social type, not as spiritually mature. Well, if you can change for the better, we can maybe share some belonging, you know, if you change and be more like me. But unless you do, you'll always be other. And it will always be hard to be around you because it's always hard to be around anyone that's different than me. But all that does is isolate. You see, in verse 12, this is what happens when we do this. It says, remember at a time you were separated. Paul is reminding the Gentiles that the Jews were continuing to place your inability to fulfill the law. They were telling the Gentiles, you were separated. You were alienated. You're strangers. And if you don't belong, then you truly have no hope. You're without God. And we create a kind of belonging that's based on the works of our hands and our natural inclination is for those on the outside, for those to retreat. Those on the inside make bubbles around themselves and the outsiders are left alone. So let me remind you of something, church. Your self-insulation with those that are only like you and your self-isolation will both destroy you. You cannot live this Christian life in alienation from the people of God. If you're an alienator, you will miss out on the blessings of the magnitude of God by placing comfort above grace. If you are the alienated, you will miss out on the blessings of the magnitude of God by crawling into your hole and never coming out. And this is our unifying problem. We're being reminded in this chapter that we think we belong when we place standards of law and are able to judge others based on those standards. We belong by assuming that others don't. But here's what Paul is saying. Listen what chapter chapter 2 says. Verse 1 says, and he's reminding the Ephesians, in verse 1, and you were dead in, the tres- in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Dead in sin. 
Dead people can't belong. No matter how many rules and laws they follow or set up for others to follow, they cannot will themselves to belonging or unification by the works of their hands, not by the works of the flesh. The works made in the flesh by hands. And so this is our problem, church. We all stand at the door of the temple and we can't enter in. Paul is trying to tell us that apart from Christ, we all don't belong. You're all separated and you're all alienated apart from Christ. Try as we may our attempts to unify and work around a work of the hands, we'll never succeed because we can't fake our way into the family. We can't work our way apart from Christ. We are all unwelcome. The sign on the wall reads, get out. So this is our first unifying principle, church. And I realize it's a kind of a negative one. But I want you to see this. We don't belong here because we fixed ourselves up. We don't belong here because we enjoy a particular kind of worship, because we enjoy this particular church. We belong here, first of all, because we don't belong here. We are all equally undeserving of the grace of God. And this is our unifying problem. We are all equally undeserving of the grace of God and we can't do anything to belong in and of ourselves, no matter how hard we try. We can be more unifying than coming to, oh, what can be more unifying, excuse me, to coming to church knowing that everyone there is just as unworthy of all this as you are. But we can't stop there. Our common unbelonging is not a reason to belong. If all we had in common was our mutual distance from God, we'd be a support group, not a church. We share a common problem, and that problem should unify us. It should create even ground. We also have a unifying solution. And here it is. When we belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. Our problem is that we can't create a standard of belonging. We can't belong apart from Jesus, and we love to let one another show it and create division. But here we have a solution. And this is the promise on which the unity and the belonging of the church of God stands So let's start on verse 13. Paul flips the script. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Continuing 14, he says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's what Jesus did. He broke down all the walls that we love to put up. 
It's right here in verse 13 and 14. You who were once far off have been brought, have been brought near, and Christ himself acts as the peacemaker. He himself is our peace. Not just the peacemaker, but the very peace that we have. The dividing wall has been thrown to the ground completely. You know what happened? When the Berlin Wall was declared null on November 9th, 1989, on that day, when they started letting people across and they opened the gates and the checkpoints and they said, okay, we'll let people in and out. When that happened, the men and the women of Germany didn't just cross the wall. They didn't just go through the checkpoints. They took pickaxes and hammers and chisels and they took down the wall, tearing it down completely in places, piece by piece. And this is what Paul is saying. There are no half walls in the kingdom of God. There are no checkpoints because there are no walls. When Christ's blood, blood promises peace, it doesn't just make, th- make things a little chummier. Peace means that there are no walls, that it's torn down. So we love to create all sorts of barriers and checkpoints and to belonging together as one body and as one church, but the wall of hostility between men can only be broken down by what does the text say? You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This wall has been broken down. It says by, it says in his flesh. This is what Jesus did. He broke down the walls. Look at verse 15, the first part. He did this. He broke down the wall. And we read the first part of 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself a new man. Here Paul is speaking of the ceremonial aspects of the Mosaic law, such as circumcision and different purification laws. These laws were meant to set apart the people of God. They are called ordinances here, the old covenant ordinances and rules and regulations. And Jesus came to set those aside. The way the people of God are now marked is not by outward signs of obedience to a set law, but by the Holy Spirit. So too Jesus breaks any man-made law of belonging. This is why we confess our sins. We're reminding ourselves that whatever premonitions we have brought in, about how holy we need to be to belong or how holy, how holy someone else needs to be to belong, we confess that we are not that we can't even meet the standards that we put up for ourselves. And we just lay it aside. So ask yourself this question. What standard of belonging have I set up to expect others to fulfill? What standard of belonging have you set up to expect others to fulfill in order to belong with you? We all have them. We meet with others. You're expecting outward holiness? Are you expecting adherence to maybe some moral code that you've set up that's not even God's standard? Or have you let Jesus abolish your law and instead give you a lens of grace? We shouldn't be holding one another accountable to repentance that feels 
that doesn't feel like holiness and feels like self-made morality, feels like guilt and division because Jesus destroyed all of those barriers. The second thing Jesus does is he creates a new humanity. Verse 15 through 17. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the Christ, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. I lost my place. <laughs> Apologize. So what happened when Jesus came to abolish previous standards of belonging and make peace? It's not just the absence of division, but a kind of belonging that is deep and rich. Remember how Jesus makes peace. You've been brought near. Verse 13, by the blood of Christ. By his blood, the blood of Christ makes peace between previously divided people. So here we have something unique. Here we have a new bloodline. Most of you feel close to your family, at least a connection. Even your distant relatives, because you share the same blood, the same DNA. And chances are some of you look like each other, have the same mannerisms. But in the family of God, we have a new bloodline that's perfect, it's pure, and it's precious. The blood of Jesus covers us and makes us new and now runs in our veins. It's a new humanity. This means you have more in common with your brother and sister in Christ that you've never met than your closest unbelieving family member who has the same blood. Because this blood, the blood of Christ, is richer and it's fuller. Anytime you're tempted to create a standard of belonging, to erect a wall, you remember that the blood of Jesus tears down those walls. It makes new bloodlines. So look at the person next to you. Go ahead. If you are in Christ together, if they've repented of their sin and trusted in Christ alone, then you don't just share a religion with them. You may not even know them, but you are one with them. The Father has seen it fit that you are lumped together with them in Christ himself by the Spirit and through his blood. There's no wall between you and, and that that hasn't already been torn down because you share a bloodline that is marked by peace. And how can you not be at peace with your own flesh, with your own blood? The one who is unified in the same way to the same Savior. This is what we're acknowledging in church membership. This is why we ask you to commit to the body because in church membership we're giving our convictions teeth. We're saying no barrier exists between me and you. And the result of that is I will commit myself to love you, to watch over you as my family, my blood, a new humanity, a new kind of people. 
And this new humanity is full of peace for those that are far off and those that are near. This blood is no respecter of culture or race or political affiliation or anything else we can think of to divide. Yes, we are exclusive. There's only one way into this family. We see it on a text. We enter only by his blood. There's only one way, no exceptions. We get into this family by joining ourselves to Jesus. His blood creates this whole reality, this new reality. So the way is exclusive, but the family itself is radically inclusive. All are welcome, Jew, Gentile, white, black, brown, woman, single, man, woman, single, married, broken, whole, healthy, sick, outcast, all of us, down to the one. Welcome. If we give any hint that the gospel is reserved for only one kind of people, then our church has lost the gospel completely. So I want you to turn with me to Isaiah 56 briefly. So here in this text, it's talking about how ancient Israel, in ancient Israel, the eunuchs were the ones that felt furthest away. Because the eunuchs were the ones who could not have descendants, and they were barren. The text says they felt like dry trees. They were outcasts. So in the face of that, we find this earth-shattering truth in Isaiah 56. Starting in verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Verse 8. The down says, The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. The Lord is the gatherer of outcasts, those who are without hope, without family, without descendants. They get a new DNA, a new blood, a new family, full of sons and daughters and mothers and fathers, and brothers and sisters and an everlasting name that will not be cut off. A new humanity. The third aspect we see of this unification and belonging to Jesus is not only are we welcomed into his family and his new humanity, by abolishing those laws we set aside for ourselves, we see that we have full access to God and his family. 
So back in Ephesians, our original text. Verse 18 says this. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is the last thing that Jesus did in tearing down the walls. He not only gives us peace with one another, he brings us all together in the presence of God. What makes the people of God the people of God is not just that we're unified together. It's all well and good if the wall of hostility has been between us has been broken down. But what about our relationship with God? This is our ancient problem. It doesn't do any good for us to hold hands together in eternity, in an eternity of enmity and separation from God. But here's the gospel of entrance. With Adam and Eve, all who mark, bear the mark of sin are kicked out of the presence of God and can never come back. And at that moment that we try to get close, we die. The sign on the wall says, get out. Our sin has cut us off from the living God. And without the living God, we have no life. But Jesus Christ, the God-man, was sent to lowly earth and on a cross he was cut off from the belonging of the Trinity and he bore your sin. He took that unbelonging to the grave and he left it there when he rose. And now in union with him, by repentance and faith, we don't have to prove that we belong to God or anyone else because Jesus brought us close close with access in one spirit to the Father and God could no more cut you off from himself than he can cut off Christ. This is the most unifying truth imaginable and it's a simple truth. Before Jesus, none of us belonged. Now, we all belong to Jesus and the walls have come down and we all belong to one another. This is the truth for the outcasts and the rejected, this is the truth for those like myself who naturally sin in isolating others and isolating myself. This is our problem. And it's the only thing that can bring us together as a church. Jesus has set aside the law of outward belonging and created a new humanity in him with full access to the Trinitarian God. So we've seen that we have a unifying problem. We've seen that we have a beautiful, praiseworthy, unifying solution. Then we find this too. We have a unifying purpose. And here's our unifying purpose. Once we belong to Jesus together, we realize that we were only meant to get to glory together. There's this one last thing that unites us. You see, the purpose of this Christian life is faithfulness until glory. So we would be faithful. We would run the race until we reach the end, and God would say, well done, good and faithful servant. But we realize that we were never meant to get there alone. So read with me, 19 through 22. 
So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So I want to give you three new identities of the unified people of God, and then we'll see three purposes flowing from those identities. The first thing we see is that we're citizens. Because the walls have been broken down, we are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints. The unifying work of Jesus creates this new humanity, but it's also this new realm, this kingdom. When Jesus came to earth, he announced that he was bringing in this new order, this new regime, if you will. Bringing the kingdom where he's the king. So now we live as citizens in this kingdom, unified to serve under one Lord, Jesus Christ. Citizens with kingdom purpose. So you want to know the best way to promote unity among the family of God? Being a part of kingdom purposes together. Serving together. And within the church, this is a very practical thing. We need servants. We need people to serve the church together. We need citizens of the kingdom to work for the good of the kingdom. Serving the church is one of the best ways we can promote unity together. We're not isolated in this. We're in this together, and we're unified by a common purpose. We're citizens. But we also see that we're a family. We're fellow citizens. This is verse 18. With the saints and what? It says, members of the household of God. So I don't know. You, you may glance over that, but it's amazing. And not only are we brought into the kingdom as, kingdom as, as subjects and servants, but we're brought into the family. You might think that being a Christian means that you work in the fields of the king you never met, but in reality, it means living with him in his castle as part of his family. And the kind of family he creates with his people is far more serious than any family you've ever experienced before. I'm reminded of Jesus who in Mark chapter 3 goes before the crowds and his mother and brothers are around them and they're calling out to him. And someone says, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're looking for you. And what does he say to them? Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those that sat around, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. We're acknowledging that that family of God creates these ties. I'm not trying to devalue your earthly family. I'm attempting to promote the family of God as a deeper reality 
and our belonging to this family is to show one another the love of God in Christ. And as a church family, this is our purpose. Now, occasionally, you can have challenges with families. You might find instances where you fight with one another, where you disagree. So my question is this. If God has truly done this in Christ, if we believe what the Scripture says, and he's truly done this, truly made us that close, what are you doing to maybe move towards reconciliation? Towards those who have hurt you, those members of the household of God that you feel some sort of enmity with? How are you pressing into that familial love? Are you willing to be inconvenienced by your brother and your sister? Do you come to church to check it off your Christian to-do list, or do you come to belong? Do you share your sin with your church family, your burden, your soul? I know they're not often like you. I know that you would never usually be friends with many of them, but the church is not made up of natural friends. It's made up of natural enemies. But we've all been welcomed in, welcomed in to share the same house and the same name. And you don't have to be best friends with those that you care about, those that you bear with. I hope that you can become friends, and that's going to happen sometimes. But to pray for one another, to love one another, those relationships are deeper than that. And this is our identity. We're citizens. We're a family and our family purpose is to love one another. The last thing we see here is that we're stones. We're citizens, we're family, but we're also stones. So look at verses 20 through 22 again. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also will be built together into a dwelling place for, the God, for God by the Spirit. Paul says that we're <clears throat> excuse me, members of the household of God, fellow citizens. We're stones. We're a temple. We're building blocks. In this world of the letter to the Ephesians, they would have had in mind two temples. The Jews would be thinking of the temple, the temple of Jerusalem that we talked about earlier, a place where Yahweh's presence dwells, the holy temple is magnificent, built, built by his people. And they revered it, and it signified the height and God's presence and glory. But the Gentiles who worshipped in Ephesus would think of the temple as the temple of Artemis. And see, the temple of Artemis is a wonder of the ancient world, and it's beautiful. To see it would be to stand in awe of its magnitude. So they have in mind these two different temples, and Paul then speaks of yet a different temple, a new temple, a better temple, not a temple of division 
and not a temple made by human hands. It's a temple made up of the people of God. Each of us, one stone in this temple shaped by God to be built in his place where he can dwell. This gives us purpose and of holiness to be a place where God can dwell. We have to be holy to be that. So look at verse 21. The whole structure grows into what? A holy temple. This is not meant to be done alone. This is your future, church. Not only that your citizens meant to work for the kingdom, family meant to belong to the kingdom, kingdom, but you're being built into a place where God dwells. You're being made holy by God and his spirit. And Paul's saying, the way that we become holy, that we make it to the end to see Jesus where the glory of the Lord is tangible and fills us completely, is together. Every day, as members of one another, our aim should be to sacrifice our own lives, our own time, our own resources, so that our brothers and sisters will be built into a holy temple of God. So let me give you a picture. Genesis 4, we find the murderer Cain being approached by God right after he has killed his brother Abel. And God asks him what he already knows. He says, where is Abel? And what does Cain say? He makes an excuse. He says, am I my brother's keeper? And maybe you're asking the same thing. Do you really expect me to join a church? To watch out? To make sure everyone in that church is holy? To commit to that? To sacrifice my own self-identity? How am I supposed to do that? Do you really expect me to give up my individuality for the sake of people I barely know? Am I my brother's keeper? And to that church, I say yes. You are your brother's keeper because every stone in the temple needs the other to be built. The great purpose of belonging is that we, <clears throat> is that we just... The great purpose of belonging is not that we just feel better and less lonely. The great purpose is that we make it to glory together. The purpose of church membership is just that. It's just a visible sign that we're in covenant with one another, accountable to one another and fully committed to one another. And what happens when we build one another in this way, by the grace of God, we strive together to make it to the end. When we're united truly as the temple, God dwells and his glory is magnified to the nations. So if we want to be a church that looks like that, we have to be united. And we should desire to do so. I know there's some of you that are apprehensive to commit to this kind of unity expressed by church membership or service to the church. But church membership says that our brothers and sisters, says to our brothers and sisters that I'm all in. I've actually got skin in the game. I'm here for your holiness. I'm fully committed to love you, to serve you, to be part of this family with you. So if you've been here for a while and you're curious 
Do I have to do this? The answer is no. But I'm saying this to you as a brother in Christ. Whatever your decision or personal conviction or formal church membership is, just come and be a citizen, be a family member, be a stone with us. Help us make Jesus known. Help us build his holy temple together. See, I want you to feel the weight of this this morning. If you belong here, if you're in Christ, don't wait any longer to press in, church. We need one another. We have this unifying problem. We have this great and glorious solution and this purpose. And all of that adds together for us to be a place where we love one another deeply in unity. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. May I ask for wisdom and strength so that we can hold fast to those truths. I thank you for the love and unity that I see that's so prevalent in this body. I pray that that unity continues to grow and with one another. And as it grows, Lord, just building your temple. And I pray that as we love one another and how we love one another is glorifying to you. I just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.